0: So I teach theology at Concordia St. Paul. I run up a mentoring program, the Source Christus program, um, where we work to equip young people for um, vocation, for purpose, for calling. Um, so I've done another talk earlier today on vocation specifically for the youth, but today I want with our time here together, talk about what it looks like for us to do Christian mentoring and to share a little bit about um, how we can better and best engage um, our young people today, whether it's in the congregational setting or in other contexts that you find yourself. So we have three goals for us for today, to understand the perspectives, the strengths, and the needs of young men and women, specifically millennials and Generation Z, and then to develop a theological vocabulary using the language of Christian vocation, And then a goal at the very end as you walk out um, and at the very end is I want you to be able to think more creatively and specifically about how you would share a component of your faith with other people. Now, my guess is that many of you do this all the time and you're really experienced with doing this. I did get a call, though, uh, earlier this week with a friend member of our church. She's been teaching our Vacation Bible School for nine years, and she her kids are at the gathering. I mean, she's been a faithful member of our church. She's interviewing for a job at a Christian school, and she said, I'm stuck on this question. They want me to share my faith testimony. What should I say? And I said, well, come on. Like, you have a good sense of this. You know, like, we talked about it. But for her, like, she ne- she knew the right answers. She had heard the right answers, but she never had practiced actually, like, Thinking through, how would I share this with other people? So if you're already experienced with that, that's great. My goal is for you to then like leave thinking, like, how am I going to equip young people and older people in my congregation to share one component of their faith story with others? Um, because that, the more we can practice this and do this, um, the better it will be for, for everyone in our, in our churches, in our church body. Um, and so they just having a bunch of professional people who know how to talk about it, and the rest of us just listen and nod. So I want to try and model that by having us um, discuss this together. A favorite clip of mine coming from the film um, that George Clooney stars in called Up in the Air. Have any of you seen this? A couple of you? Came out a few years ago. Uh, what I love about Hollywood when they do it well, when they do really good films, is they're always right on the edge of like stuff before it's before it's big. The main premise of this film is George Clooney. His character is Ryan Bingham, and his job is to fire people. But they bring on this intern, Natalie Keener, the the young uh, girl, the millennial girl. Um, And she's like, we can do this more efficiently for the company if we do it electronically. So we'll just pull them up on Skype or FaceTime, and we will fire them from our home office. And George Clooney's like, there's no way. We have to have the dignity to shake someone's hand and say, you're fired. So there's this tension that's going on. In the last session, someone's like, yeah, I actually, like, this actually happens in real life that people get fired now over, like, you know, a Skype connection or something like that, or something fancier, but it's essentially the same thing. So the film tries to get a little bit ahead of, like, where the culture's at and what what the different dynamics are. The scene that I'm going to have you watch um, explores how Natalie um, experiences the trauma, and there's this uh, scene where she completely loses it in public because her boyfriend um, breaks up with her via text, and she's a complete wreck. Um she's been traveling with George Clooney. They're traveling around and they're trying to figure out like what's the best way to fire people. Um, and the other dynamic or the woman in the story um, is a girl named Alex. And she and George, um, or she and Ryan in the film their characters. Um, they hook up um, in the airports all the time. They're professional people, but they just they need they need someone there, so they find each other and that's like their relationship. So there's this dynamic where like there's this deception going on between, Alex and Ryan Bingham, and then Natalie and Ryan are in this very much this mentoring relationship. Later, she'll call him on a lot of things in his life that he's not really doing that are all that good or, or healthy. Um, but here's a scene where they're trying to respond to um, this young millennial as she's having this crisis. So I give it to you, and then I want to, we'll have three discussion questions afterwards. It's like a four and a half minute clip. But I want you to think through, like, if you were in their shoes, in the shoes of um, Ryan or Alex, listening to this young millennial talk. Um, how, would you, how would you respond? What do you think they do well? What do they not do well? But I think it gives us a good little taste of like what ministry looks like in the, in the actual, actual moment. So we'll unpack that as we go forward. Since I teach um, 20-somethings, I read a lot of studies about 20-somethings. Meg Jay has a piece called The Defining Decade, Why Your 20s Matter and How to Make the Most of Them Now. Um, and she's a clinical psychologist, and she concludes this. "Um, Every day I work with 20-somethings who feel horribly deceived by the idea that their 20s would be their best years of their lives. And that seems to, Natalie at least seems to highlight that, uh, that component pretty well. So again, the goal here in this first little session, or part of my session, is for us to better understand uh, where people are at. This speaks to like how is this generation the same and how is this generation different. The comment that was raised which was a really good one. Um, this comes from a book called Twenty Something. Why do some young people, why do young adults seem stuck? Sure, you made hard choices if you were 25 in 1976, but not so many, and not with a protracted window. The internet, which again is the backdrop behind the whole film, which makes it possible to monitor ba- basically everything going on everywhere at every moment, doesn't help. As Henning puts it. Choice overload makes people worry about later regretting the choice they make. If there are 12 things I could do tonight, any one of them might end up being more fun than the one I chose or the one I choose. Sets them up for higher expectations. If I choose this party out of those 12 things, it had well better be fun. Makes them think about the road not taken. Every party not attended could contain someone I wish I'd met. And leads to, and this is the critical piece, right? And leads to self-blame if the outcome is bad. Because I could have done something else, the challenge of opportunity. The other thing, and I see this happening frequently both in our society and also from my vantage point as a university professor, is the divided life, right? We live in a very fragmented age. Everything seems to be very fragmented. People think my faith belongs at church, my intellect belongs at school, work is for the office, prayers are for the pews. We can go on and on and on. So what do we do with this fragmentation that we have in our society? So I want to direct us to Colossians 1.17. There's a lot of books, actually, that are kind of coming out in the market right now that use this as their theme. So if you want to, I mean, you will start seeing this, I think, appearing in a lot of um, Christian books, focusing on how all things hold together in Christ. Um, and so this insight that Paul has is that we can, in fact, study everything. We can engage in really complicated issues. I teach on faith and social justice at CSP. I talk about religion, race, and politics, which is my doctoral work. Very controversial things, right? And students love it, right? At least I hope they do, right? Um, and we have a lot of engagement because this is where like the fragments of life, it's all spread out. How does it actually come together? And it's my contention, and I think the contention of Lutheran theology, that we really lift up this sense that like we can actually ask hard questions because our God will actually come through for us. We In Christ, things really do indeed hold together. So I want to just briefly chat, chat here about um, a theological vocation of a theological vocabulary using the language of Christian vocation. Um, so this is a book that also came out. This is like an early 2000s study, but I think it's unbelievably um, um, perceptive in its description of how religion has taken on spiritual dimension in our world today. Um, they coined the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism, Pop quiz for you students. No, you guys know this because I talk about it all the time. But religion seems to be in the United States very much about morals, being a good person, therapy, making you feel good, and vague notions about God. Now, they do, this is a, uh, Christian Smith is a well-known sociologist. There's a lot of pop books or popular literature about, like, People put together anecdotes describing young people. This was, uh, and it's Oxford University Press. It was a, one of the largest and most well-researched studies on the religious and spiritual lives of young people. Um, it's worth it's worth looking at, um, and it really kind of set a new benchmark for the type of studies for young people. But they say this is where you know our society is very much focused on. They want this in our, in religion. We want it to be good, and for us to feel happy, and we just want it to vaguely talk about God. For us in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, though, right, we're very clear about our Christocentric message, right, which is good. And they actually find that the more grounding, the more detailed, the more specific, the more biblical the religious um, moorings and teachings are, um, that that's better, that young people actually like that. Um, so religions that um, really focus on getting a not a vague notion of spirituality but a really deep, robust theology are the ones that actually, the religion sticks um, because of that. Um, So, it describes the complexity of contemporary teenage religious life. It says religion is widely practiced and positively valued by teens, but also deprioritized and very poorly understood by them. Yet, it's still significant in shaping their lives. It also contends that young people are not rebellious um, and are very much like their parents. And they did the studies, and they said that young people vote like their parents and believe whatever their parents do about church. So, the real, like... The real pressing thesis is, if you don't like how young people are believing and worshiping or not worshiping, it's not their fault. You're the ones who need to take responsibility. and they're not like saying it to all of us. I mean, they are saying it to us, but just to like to the older generation, saying like they are simply mimicking what's going on and debunking this notion that you have all these rebellious teenagers, which I'm not saying you don't ever have a rebellious teenager, but in general, they're a lot like their parents. Um, so, and then it describes this major transformation of faith. Um, David Brooks, I don't know if you read him, he's an op ed columnist for the New York Times. And here, this is specifically about universities, but I think it captures again a challenge that we have in our day and age. Universities are more professional and glittering than ever. It's not just universities. The US Bank Stadium, the most beautiful building, right, in all of Minneapolis, right? This is, you look at a lot of the current stuff that's out there. Everything's glittering, everything's professional, but in some ways, there is an emptiness deep down. Students are taught how to do things, but many are not forced to reflect on why they should do them or what we are here for. They are given many career options, but they are on their own when it comes to developing criteria to determine which vocation would lead to the fullest life. So here's my three words: purpose, calling, and vocation. Um, and I we're gonna do a quick little survey here. Which word? and there's no right or wrong answer here. I'm just genuinely curious, because I'm on a task force at CSP to develop language about vocation. So which word most resonates with you? That you have a purpose, that you have a calling, or that you have a vocation? All right, take a moment, to think to yourself. Which one, like, or or if you have another word that like really speaks to you, I'm all ears for that too, okay? So those of you who really like purpose, does that resonate with you? You have a purpose, okay? All right, those of you for a calling, Okay, vocation all right okay so kind of start high purpose and kind of a little downwards so anyone have any creative ideas or other words I had a student once say to me that the passion was a word that resonated more with them um, so passion resonated more with them as well and so you have these different um, um, pieces, so maybe passion could fit up there as well. I'd contend, and I, I lay this out more in the youth session that I do, um, that purpose is more what you want to do, and a calling is specifically like you are called to do something, um, just like you get like if you get a phone call or something, you're called to do something. And so for us as Christians, we really like talk about a a theology of vocation or a theology of calling, where God is the one who calls you to do things. First and foremost, that you're called to be a child of God. And then that God calls you out to serve other people. Um, it's both first your identity and then how you serve other people. Um, vocation is not, I mean, it's used in popular language to describe like a, a trade school or something like that. But in the Lutheran sense, Lutheran understanding of vocation um, pulls at the notion that vocatio, the root for vocation, is calling. and means that God has called you to do these purposes. Um, so I think that language is quite robust. Uh, the other piece that they have been encouraging us to do Um, Throughout all these talks is to talk about the Psalms which they've done a beautiful job with for this gathering and I put up for you here This short little book. This is an idea that I'm planning to do. It's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer It's very short the prayer book of the Bible on the Psalms and Talk, it's a very Christocentric look at the Psalms. Um, but I think this, if you were to do like a mentoring program with young people, you could give them a book like this that's not just like you know pop devotional reading or something, but it's really deep, but short and accessible, and to talk about it and then to read through the Psalms. So if you're looking for like some go-to resources, that would be a resource that I would suggest. All right, so then our last piece here is to look at sharing one aspect of your faith with young people clearly and confidently. Um, Christian mentoring is a vital aspect of youth ministry. Youth will notice when you take time to listen and encourage them, as we saw with our, I think you all know this with our characters from our film clip. Um, but I wanted to highlight the study that the LCMS put together, the seven practices of healthy youth ministry. Um, again, my hope is that you'll take some of this back to your congregations and, if you, and say like, all right, we need to do a better job of equipping young people. One of the studies, this is a slight tangent, but I think it's really important and also un- an unbelievably missed opportunity The LCMS study that came out, the youth ministry study came out, and said that there's very few LCMS congregations that do any work with college campuses. Is it any wonder that we don't have as many young people in our church today when we have when we don't have that type of presence on college campuses. There are community colleges, Christian colleges, public universities in every metropolitan area and pretty much every region of the United States where you have a concentrated area of young people who are asking these questions, just like Natalie was, right? And so you have a huge opportunity, so we've gotta get out there and connect with those people. So there's study, The Seven Practices of Healthy, young, Healthy Youth Ministry says, supportive, young, supportive adults develop not just short-term but long-term relationships. Supportive adults deliberately invest in youth and build intergenerational relationships. Supportive adults prepare for and respond to celebration, transitions, and crisis, and supportive congregations seek to connect every youth with at least five engaged adults. That last piece is a key one for you. If you're the sole youth director or the sole like leader, um, you got to broaden out. You need to be able to have more people involved. Young people need lots of leaders um, to connect to. Um, so as you think about this here, this idea of Christian mentoring. as I mean, to maybe like solidify for you, whether it's later tonight or any of the things that you're hearing from the gathering. You have so many phenomenal speakers here um, and so many great insights that are being brought from the scriptures. What passage of scripture would you use to frame your faith story? What story would you share from your own life to show how God has called you? And then what will you bring back from that uh, National Youth Gathering to equip your congregation to better listen, mentor, and guide young men and women in their Christian faith and life? And I contend that like if you have just a little aspect, a little story, to share and to tell other other leaders, like you might have a study then for the other um, men and women in your congregation who you want to equip to work with the youth or to equip to work with young people, um, have them like actually write out like how, what passage of scripture would be your go-to passage, what would be one aspect of your faith that you want to share. Um, for me then, I'm going to just highlight this, I've got like three slides here and we'll wrap up. Um, Romans 5 is one that's really stood out to me as a really significant one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a world where there isn't very much, there's a lot of hostility and tension. I talked about fragmentation. But this idea of peace or the biblical idea, the Old Testament notion of shalom is so profound and beautiful. And I think that can really be unpacked more. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, Tim Keller uh, writes this uh, beautiful quote in Generous Justice, how God's grace makes us just. I had a student who wrote this to me in her, in her paper for class. Um, this happened a couple of years ago. She was an outstanding um, basketball player for our university. She was an outstanding student, one of the sharpest students I ever taught. Um, and she really struggled with anorexia. And this became like, I mean, she met with me and she said, I have to withdraw from the university. Um, And she went to the Emily House, and I had this pastoral moment where she's like, but if you could come visit me, the Emily House is the place for people who are recovering from um, anorexia and those types of things. She said, "Um, you can come there and pray with me. For her, though, it was a moment when she was always defined by her performance, her career. She was that great basketball player, all these different things. What she needed to hear was God's grace. She needed this moment. And in the course that we had, she wrote this in her last paper that she was able to finish the class, and then she had to withdraw. Um, but she said, this is the quote that stood out from Tim Keller's book, "Society tells you every day that you are worthless because you have no achievement. You are a failure and you know that you will not continue to be and you know that you will continue to be a failure because there is no way to achieve tomorrow, which you have not managed to achieve today. Yet the gospel tells you that you're not defined by outside forces. This girl had always defined herself by outside forces: image, performance, performativity, The gospel tells you that you count. Jesus tells you that you count even more that you are loved unconditionally and infinitely, irrespective of anything you may have achieved or failed to achieve. So with that, I hope that you guys uh, enjoy your time at the gathering. As you think about equipping young people, keep that central message of the gospel and and the grace of God at the forefront of all the things that you do um, as you engage with a really fun and awesome generation, millennials, Generation Z, as we all work together to to share God's love and uh, God's purposes for us. Thank you all very much. Have a good rest of the day.